Ahoy, and welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. So we're starting part two, my part two, because there's part two in the book. For you watching the video, there's Patchy back there. <laughs> we're going to be doing chapters 17 through 36, pages 138 through 302. I totally posted wrong on social media. I said chapter 19 that we went through. We definitely did not, but I'll fix it, whatever. So summary of last episode... Pip's losing her freaking brain. There's dead crows and stick figures on her driveway. She's also getting messages from an unknown number. And they are saying, who will look for you when you're the one that goes missing? And there's a serial killer that did the same things to four other, five other girls? I don't, I can't remember. Anyway, and the guy in jail accused of them seems innocent. That's Billy. Anyway, things to look forward to, really, all you need to know is we find out who DT is. Like, if that's not enough to look forward to, I don't know what it is. Okay, let's start with chapter 17. So Pip talks about how she thinks Billy is likely innocent, which we kind of, like, we went over the, um, sorry, it's been a while, like, I've read a lot since then. We went over the police records where Billy, like, basically was coerced, coerced? coerced, coerced, whatever, you guys know what I'm saying, into a confession. So she also talks about Capstone Project Log 20 in the first book, which I have not looked up yet, but I'm assuming it's accurate to what we're talking about here. But it's an interview with Jess Walker. They don't give any details about it, but I kind of want to like pause and look it up real quick. Maybe I'll do that at the end. Maybe I'll like add something in the end. Hi, hello. So I looked up the Capstone Logic project 20 or whatever log 20 it's transcript of interview with jess walker i have it in front of me right now uh, this is kind of crazy that she referenced back to this in the third book but doesn't give details so jess is describing the bell family specifically jason and says like the whole family's dysfunctional etc cetera, etc cetera. but she says like the way he spoke to the girls he would like talk down to them and then he'd like make a joke about it so he'd joke about becca's weight and then he'd say like uh, Andy needed makeup and stuff and then the mom like used to be prettier whatever who cares but something that really stuck out to me was this part on page 144 of the first book and I'm just gonna read it it just says where to go how that girl they're talking about Andy how that girl could have ever thought she was ugly is beyond me Becca became obsessed with her flaws and started skipping meals it affected them in different ways. Andy got louder and Becca got quieter. Keep that in mind because the louder part comes back later. I do want to say also this chapter mentions or this capstone log mentions that part of the story where Jason had to leave the dinner party to go check on an alarm at his business. So that's what leads Pip to this next section. Okay, I'm done. Back to my regular recorded show so pip goes to the bell's house and she's walking up the door and she passes dawn that's the mom but dawn doesn't really acknowledge her and just like leaves it's kind of weird but then pip goes to the door and jason the dad answers and jason's not really having it this whole time but like neither would i if this was a situation like leave me alone you've already meddled enough in my life but anyway she asked about the dt killer working at his company because if you remember from last time like all the signs uh, pointed to being connected to the company like one of the managers died one of the bodies was found on there and then like the duct tape and the blue rope could be accessed through the job so anyway he's like we've done everything to separate the company from this situation so like leave <laughs> 
And Pip brings up the dinner party the night Andy died and the break-in at the office that Jason had to leave for. And she's like, I think DT broke in to get supplies for the murder. And she's like, did, did your office have cameras? And he's like, I don't, I didn't see anything because like he left to go check on it. And then he like kind of cuts himself self off mid-sentence and he's like, that's enough. You caused enough damage. Like, don't contact me again. So then Jason slams the door and watches to make sure Pip like fully leaves his property. And then she conveniently gets an unknown number call uh, like she has been as soon as she turns the corner. And Pip asks a bunch of questions. She's like, DT, do I know you? Do you know me? Like, obviously, there's no response. They're just breathing. And then a click. And then as this is all happening, Pip's walking across the street and a car almost hits her. It like She's like on the crosswalk and then it like flies by. And she sees Layla Mead. No, it's Stella. Okay. I, um, I like this book series, but there's a lot I don't like about this book. So it's just trying to bring everything back around one last time in the book. Like, so they talk about Jamie and how like she catfished the second book. Whatever. If you've been with me, you know what I'm talking about. It's not worth going over again. But anyway, the car is like, I think Stella says this. It's a white sports car. Whatever. They chit chat about college. It's stupid. But while they're talking, Pip's having an internal breakdown thinking about Charlie Green and everything that happened in the last book. It's just to like tie everything together. But for my purposes, pointless. Chapter 18. So Ravi's upset about the car almost hitting her and the phone call, obviously, from Unknown. And Pip's like, I got a plan. So she installs an app that reveal who the call is from. So back in my day, we would just like star 69, which would call back the number that called your house phone. So I'm assuming there is an app that can do this, but also what? <laughs> so like what happens is, well, Ravi tests it out, but like he, you can hit, I forget what numbers, whatever two numbers and I'll like hide your phone number and make it seem like it's unknown. And then she'll use the app and the app will reveal who's like the actual phone number. So they try it and it works. So Pip also explains how everyone in the town has her phone number because she put on the missing posters for Jamie. So that doesn't like rule anyone out. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be someone she knows well. And then Ravi thinks Pip's an idiot and she go to the police. This is going to be a reoccurring theme this whole episode, but she wants to get the name or like the number from the caller ID before she goes to the police. So she'd be like, I have evidence as to who's calling me. So they talk about a, the, ooh, they talk about the criminal, criminal profiler and how it basically rules out Max because he was only 17 the night of the first murder. And the one that was the same day that Andy was missing, he was obviously having that sleepover with his friends. So like he had enough going on and probably wasn't him. So then they bring up Daniel Da Silva would fit the profile and he worked at Green Scene before he became a police officer. And this is stupid. Pip tries to contact people that worked with Daniel and Billy. This never comes back around, at least not in this section of the book. We still have a third left, but still. Then she also wants to talk to the retired, now retired, Lieutenant Noel. And he did the police interview with Billy, which we get to later. Pip reaches out and gets a response from Julie, who's, I have third victim question mark. I think I clarify later. One of the victim's sisters, Harriet, and Harriet says she can meet up tomorrow, next chapter, to talk with Pip. Chapter 19. So Pip meets Harriet at, at the cafe and sets up the podcast stuff and all that. And she asks Harriet about the interview we talked about last episode, like Billy's interview. And Harriet said at the time they did have two dead pigeons at their house, one through like a cat flap door, but she was pretty sure like their house cat was too old 
and didn't hunt anymore. Oh, P.S. Talking about house cats. Today is Waffles' 10th birthday. And I, this is like so side note. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> normally, I buy him a kid's junior roast beef sandwich from Arby's. Um, we have seven inches of snow right now. So I don't think he's going to get it or I'm going to have to door dash. So. But happy birthday, Waffle. Anyway, so her cat's too old to hunt. And she didn't see the birds. But her sister did say the second one was headless. So same as what's going on with Pip. And then Harriet didn't see the chalk figures either. It's all just things her sister told her. The block numbers, Harriet said she thinks her sister maybe got three calls the week she was murdered. And then Harriet also mentions that Billy never said anything about stalking in the interview, like in the things he confessed to. Harriet tells us her sister didn't have a boyfriend at the time, but she was going out for dinner a lot. Like, so that could be sus. Like, she could be seeing someone. And there's also no phone records between her and Billy. But there's, like, enough freaking burner phones in this book that like we know that's probably the case so harriet get ready for a bombshell harriet also mentions that andy andy bell would ask the same question that pip just did (laughs) yeah andy here we go after julia died harriet received an email from andy basically saying if you ever need someone to talk you can talk to me i have a little sister like etc etc and they talked on the phone once a week and they actually would meet up at the same coffee shop every once in a while. And they would talk about anything and everything, but also Julia and DT Killer. Also, it's noted that a- when that Andy died the same night as Tara Yates, which we already knew. But it's just something that's brought up. And then Harriet also gives the email address to- that Andy used. But it's like a bunch of numbers and letters. It's not like her normal, like, Andy Bell at Gmail or whatever. And Harriet reads one of the messages to Pip. And then Andy signs off the message, like, or not signs off, but she calls Harriet HH, like, that's Harriet's initials. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's, like, something that sticks out to Pip. And then Harriet asks if Pip's going to talk to Billy, and she says hopefully, which we don't get to yet, but I would assume that happens eventually. I don't know. We'll see. But Pip wants to schedule another interview with Harriet soon, so they say their goodbyes, which that doesn't happen this time either. So then we look at Andy's planner folder, March 10th through the 16th. On Saturday, it says HH at 6. I can post a picture, page 164. Chapter 20. So Pip thought initially that HH, like in the first book, was in Andy's planner meant Howie's house because she was obviously like selling drugs. And now we know it's because she was meeting Harriet, but... What's, like, obviously strange is that Andy wanted to meet one of DT Killer's victim's family members. So, Pip tries to log into Andy's email, like, the one that she used to contact Harriet. But, it, it like, it's kind of drawn out. But it basically comes down to a security question. What is the name of your first hamster? Mine was Hammy, just for the record. Not one of my security questions, though. Anywho, <laughs> Pip always um, has a call with Becca weekly. I don't know why I said last episode that they talk daily, but they definitely talk weekly. Anyway, they're scheduled to talk on the phone tomorrow, like in the book, at 4 p.m., which is 25 hours away. So Pip's, like, freaking out because she thinks she only has, like, a week left to live because she's already received, like, a certain number of calls, the same as the victim, blah, blah, blah. So Pip starts having another panic attack with the blood on her hand. So she takes a pill, whatever. Then she texts Luke saying she needs more and he mocks her and he's like, oh, I thought you said this last time. I'll tell you when I have them or whatever. And Pip's thinking about going for a run, but she sees Max jogging outside. And then all of this is interrupted by a phone call. It's not the no caller ID, which we'd all hope for. 
but it is a number she doesn't know. She answers it, turns out to be Detective Hawking, and he tells her that Charlie Green was caught and he's in custody and he was in Canada. So she knows it wasn't him because he was in Canada the whole time. Detective Hawking is trying to reassure her that she's safe now. Like, you don't have to worry about it. And she's like, can I talk to Charlie? And he's like, no, you idiot. Like, you're the only eyewitness to the murder he committed. Like, that's a problem when we go to court. No. So then Hawking's like trying to be nice. And he's like, so how's your stalker situation? And Pip's like, it's all sorted out. Don't worry about it. Which is not, but whatever. And she's like, thanks for your call. So like I said, obviously it's not Charlie because he was in Canada. We knew that already though. So... I did put a note in this. I said, unless he was in contact with someone else that lived there that could make the chalk marks and stuff. But like, we find out who DT is. So like, that's, I'm an idiot. (laughs) So the chapter ends by Pip saying that she has 24 and a half hours to solve the mystery of Andy's email. And maybe after all this time, Andy can save her. Big who cares. Chapter 21. So Becca calls Pip from the prison and long story short, Pip's like, what's the name of your first hamster or whatever? And P- Becca's like, why? And then Pip's like, there was a secret email account. And Becca's like, uh, I think the police would like find all this stuff or whatever. And Pip's like, I can't tell you more on the phone. Like calls are recorded through the jail, whatever. So they give her the name of the hamster. It's Rody. And there's like this whole family story about it. Who cares? <laughs> so they get off the phone and I'm telling you, this book is so jam packed. Like if you want all the details, read it yourself. Cause I like, I literally cannot fill you in with everything because it's just too much but anyway pip puts in the password and then she changes the password to dt killer six like great like real flattering i don't know i just thought it was weird but there's only eight messages between andy and harriet and then they move to texting and it's like all the stuff harriet said so it's like no big deal like whatever and then pip searches around until she finds a draft that andy had written and this has a lot of information. So Andy's email draft. So she's sending like, well, she didn't send it, but she wanted to send it from anonymous. So it's like, to whom it may concern, I know who DT killer is. But of course she like does not tell us in the draft because that would be too easy. So Andy saw him holding hands and kissing Julia Hunter. That's one of the victims, obviously. That's probably Harriet's sister, is it not? Anyway, and six days later she died. So Andy says she contacted because she was hoping that Harriet would also know this person and be suspicious of him killing her sister. But, and she didn't want to be alone in all this. Also, Andy mentions that she would be devastated if something or if anyone touched Becca, which is like obviously ironic because of the situation, because of what Max did to her and then Becca, and because she was selling drugs and then, you know, obviously Becca like let her die. It's a whole thing. But anyway, so Andy says that she wants to stay anonymous because this person is inside the house talking with us like everything's normal around the dinner table and she doesn't want to go to the police because he's practically one of them and then she says she can't tell sal because he wants to protect or she wants to protect him and that's why she doesn't let him come to her house so she mentions that dt is going to kill her if she doesn't leave town and then he always already started to look at her differently and she doesn't want him to look at becca like that And that's why she's selling drugs so she can save money to leave town. And then she also mentions trying to get into Yale at any means possible, which includes Mr. Ward, obviously. The whole plot of the first book. Also, she plans on coming back for Becca. And then the draft ends with just, like, it's cut off. Like, it's mid-sentence. Chapter 22. Pip's going over all the information with Robbie and basically how this changes everything, but changes nothing. But it explains why... 
Andy was selling drugs and why she was hooking up with Mr. Ward. I can't believe I just said that. And then pretty much like the entire chain of events for the last two books. But they do talk about how Daniel Da Silva used to have dinner at the Bell's house because Becca mentioned it back when she was dating Stanley. Blah, blah, blah. They talk about it. It's actually in the other book. But he also worked for Green Scene, which is Jason's company or whatever, and is close with him. And then Annie mentioned that this person is practically one of them talking about the police. And we know like he was a young officer at the time, et cetera, et cetera. I said, I think it's too simple and more parties are involved. I agree still to this day. Also, (laughs) wasn't there a rumor that Andy and Daniel hooked up when she was underage? But so like that kind of changes like he looks at me differently. Like you guys already hooked up. So he would be looking at you differently. I don't know. Whatever. It's not Daniel. Spoiler alert. But yeah, the chapter basically ends with like recapping how everything's connected. Interview with Lieutenant Noel about DT. My first note says I hate this guy. Still valid. So, oh, it's Nolan, not Noel. Sorry. Nolan, he was the guy that interviewed Billy and arrested him. And he basically makes excuses the whole time and says he didn't lead Billy on. And he was tired too, but he didn't confess to murder. And he knew he was in the presence of evil. I'm not even saying Billy's like completely innocent person in general, but like we know he didn't do this. So it's really stupid. So they discuss the other evidence tying Billy to the victims. And we all know leads back to the job at Green Scene or whatever. So Lieutenant Nolan says they were looking at the business after the third victim was killed because she worked there. And then Pip asked if they had any other suspects. Pip brings up the weird occurrences that Harriet mentioned with the birds and the chalk figures. And he said none of the previous victims had mentioned anything like that. So, and like Billy didn't say he was talking his victims or did anything like that. So they just assumed it was unrelated, which I guess is pretty valid. But anyways, then Pip's like, well, why would Billy throw away the trophies? Like, isn't that the point of a trophy to have it? And Lieutenant Nolan said he thought he was getting rid of evidence because they were getting too close to him or whatever. And then they talked about how it's common for serial killers to want to be close to the victims and insert themselves in the investigation. We already talked about this last time. Anyways, he mentions that there was an officer from a surrounding town, but Pip, like, assumes Fairview that was showing a little too much interest. But he was just a new officer and very curious, but it did raise some red flags. And Pip's like, oh, was that Daniel Da Silva? And Lieutenant Nolan's like, I obviously like can't remember um, and you wouldn't be able to air it anyways. And then like that's where the interview ends. Chapter 23. So Pip's asleep having some super intrusive nightmares. Same girl. And when she wakes up. Oh, okay. This is like stuff's gonna start getting like wild so she wakes up to this sputtering clicking noise and it's her printer just like printing randomly while she's sleeping and it prints off who will look for you when you're the one who disappears p.s i learned this trick from you season one episode five ready for my next trick reasonably pip is freaking out because dt like must have connected through her bluetooth which means he has to be nearby and she's like questioning what my next trick means when her speakers from her computer start like blasting heavy metal music again like via bluetooth so she like unplugs everything like her computer her lamp her phone charger like all of it she unplugs everything in the room and her like parents come in and they're pissed off obviously and like her brother's crying like scared and the dad's like what the heck is going on and she's like oh i don't know like it must have like my bluetooth must have accidentally hooked up my bad whatever but like she doesn't tell him what's going on obviously but she does like try to go look out the window just in time to see a man running away with like a dark hood on 
So her parents like get her brother back in bed, but they're still mad, but they're like, good night, whatever. And Pip's like losing it because she knows DT was like literally in her driveway. Chapter 24. Pip's on the struggle bus again, obviously. She took the last of her pills and then she texted Luke that she was out and needed more. And she said that he should have gotten back to her by now. So she's like annoyed and she's like, what, what the heck's the problem? So she went for a run to clear her head and now it's midday. Okay. Like, I know it's a lot of lead up, but it all makes sense eventually. So she's supposed to be checking in with Ravi, like, every couple, I don't know, like, every hour or something because he's, like, worried about her. And she's supposed to go eat dinner at his house and spend the night at his house that night. Which, I'm sorry. If I was in high school, my parents would not let me spend the night with my much older boyfriend at his house. Especially when they didn't know anything was wrong. But maybe that's just me. So, Pip has decided that all signs point to Daniel De Silva being DT. It's not him. I've been saying this for like two episodes. But she decides that she needs to go talk to Nat about it, which is going to be an awkward and awful conversation because she's already accused them of being like involved with Jamie and all this stuff and, or uh, Andy or whatever. Like, not a good look. So, she tells her mom, like, I have plans for night. Quick bye, love you, whatever. So, Pip's almost at Nat's house when. No caller ID calls. Like, bring, bring. Oh my God. I should probably put a sound effect in. Anyways, she does the whole app thing and then she like talks to the other line and she's like, I got you figured out. I know you're DT. Like, I'm not scared of you, blah, blah, blah. And then like the real number pops up, but it's like a phone number she doesn't recognize. So she assumes it's a burner phone. Obviously, he's not that big of an idiot. So then Pip calls the number back, making her number pop up as unknown to like kind of mess with him to be like, hey, two can play this game, jerk. So when the phone is ringing, she can hear it right behind her. Dun, dun, dun. So there's no time to scream and there's arms around her neck and throat choking her and she can't breathe and she like starts to pass out and there's darkness. Chapter 25. So this is kind of weird. It's just like, I'll have to post a picture of it. It's on page 207. It's a stick figure drawn with no head, but instead of like lines, it's the word spelled out dark, like all over. Anyway, chapter 26. I'm sorry to insert this in such an important time, but my first note literally says, ah, all caps, I spilled water on my book, which I did, which made me very sad. But anyway, Pip wakes up in the trunk of a car. So she's pretty dramatic through this whole chapter, like reasonably so, but also like get to the point. But also like side note from me, which she does not do. If you're ever locked in the trunk of a car, you kick out the taillight. That's what you do. And then you wave your arm around. Then the other cars are like, what the heck? There's a hand waving around in this trunk. Anywho, her hands and feet and mouth all have duct tape on them. And the whole time she's like saying that she's in the back of Daniel's trunk and she's going to die. She's not in Daniel's trunk. Anyways, never let someone take you to the second location. If you watch like any true crime, you know that like I think your survival rate goes down to like less than 1% if they move you to a second location. But anyways, she's like crying, thinking about the people she loves and like thinking about who's going to look for her. And she's like listening. We all know. And then she's like rubbing her head and her face and stuff, trying to get DNA all over the car. So like, obviously, that's really smart. Anyways, she does this weird thing for like the next several chapters where she can quote unquote hear Ravi talking to her and telling her it's going to be okay. It's like her inner dialogue, but she makes it in Ravi's voice. It's I don't find it very effective. I don't really like it, but whatever. It's her inner dialogue, not mine. So... Her plan is to either push down the back seats or pop up through the cargo covering and climb over the back seats 
because she wants to try to cause a car crash because the odds of surviving a car crash is much higher than surviving like this serial killer. So Pip gets ready to jump out, do her plan or whatever, and the car's slowing to a stop and DT gets out for a few seconds and then gets back in and then the car starts moving, but it's like too slow for a crash. So she hears the parking brake knowing they're at the second location. So she's like, I'm dead. Great. So the door opens, closes, and then she hears footsteps on the gravel and they open the back door to the trunk and DT pulls back the cover and she looks at his face and recognizes, drum roll, Jason Bell, which I totally called in the first book or not in the first book, the first part of this book. But there we are. It's Jason Bell. Chapter 27. So Pips tries to scream, but Jason's like, no one's going to hear you out here. We're like in the middle of nowhere. And then she tries to run, but her legs are obviously duct taped too tight together. And Jason leads her to an industrial looking building and there's a metal fence. And that's why he had to get out. He had to like unlock the gate and then get back in the car and then drive through whatever. And they're at green scene LTD, which is in the middle of nowhere, like I said. And he drags her inside the building and places her on the ground. So she's in a sitting position and he points at the security alarm and he's like, oh, that's the one you were asking about that went off the night Andy died. Well, um, Tara, one of the victims was the one who set it off. And now like this is where all my victims were and where they were tied up and they were murdered in this room. But Tara had managed to break through the tape and he forgot to disable the security alarm correctly. But like, don't worry, I got the cameras and everything turned off now. And it was all fine, but he had to rush back to the dinner party, which was like kind of inconvenient for him. So he also mentions that it's a weekend, so no one's going to be in the building till Monday. Can you imagine working somewhere where like a bunch of people were murdered and you had no idea? It's like the same as buying a murder house. But anyway, so he sees that Pip's bindings are too loose, so he starts duct taping her tighter. And Pip starts thinking about Andy and because like Andy obviously knew her dad was this serial killer, which is insane. And then also, this is really messed up, but like Pip's talking about the pictures, like when she took a picture of Andy's planner. And I there might be a picture in the first book, but there's a hairbrush like laying next to it. And it's the hairbrush that must have belonged to Melissa, the other victim. And it was a trophy. And like the fact that her dad gave it to her is like sick. And I don't know. We don't know if Andy like knew that was a trophy, but like it is what it is. Gross. So anyways, he finishes taping Pip to one of the shelving units and then he tapes her legs tighter or whatever. Then he begins to remove the tape from her mouth and says he normally gives them one last chance to speak and to apologize. And Pip debates on whether she's going to like scream or like ask him why or what she's going to do. But she lands on saying that she knew like that Andy knew who he was. And she goes on to explain everything in the email uh, draft, basically that we found out earlier and that she was trying to get out of town to save Becca. And then Pip also says like, Becca doesn't know who you are, but she obviously chose to stay in jail than be around you. So like, she thinks you're a monster in her own way. And then Jason says that Andy died because she didn't listen just like all his other victims, but he like didn't kill Andy, obviously. And then he goes on this whole weird tirade about how women don't listen. He's a man and they should listen to him and show respect and blah, blah, whatever. And he also said he gave up the killings for Andy because when she went missing, obviously the police were too close. So he didn't actually give it up for her. He just is an idiot, whatever. So then he's like saying how Pip was meddling in his business. So he had to take care of her because Pip's too loud. Like that's what he always says. Like they're too loud. They talk too much, whatever. He would definitely murder me time immediately. He'd be like, number one victim. Look at her talking too much. So anyway... He goes on to say that he lost his second wife, 
the only woman who did listen, but then she started listening to Pip's podcast instead. Not sure why he didn't murder her, but okay. And then he also says that like Pip's telling him this about Andy, but it doesn't hurt him. And it proves that he was right that she couldn't listen and neither can Becca. But he does have something that will hurt Pip. And I'm really sorry that we have talked about this and I don't want to, but we're going to. <sighs> so last year, Becca wasn't replying to her text. So he went to his house, even though he wasn't living there with his, like he was living with his new wife or whatever. Jason followed Becca and sees her with a dog on a leash. He's like, I didn't tell them they could get a dog. They didn't ask me. So he's furious. And this is obviously Barney, Pip's dog. But he didn't know that at the time. He just thought Becca got a dog or whatever. So he's like, Becca didn't deserve a dog. She couldn't hand a dog. And he confirms this because when she's like letting Barney go, she throws a stick and then she runs the opposite way while the dog's running to get the stick and leaves it in the woods. But obviously this is for Pip to find. So he's like, I approached the dog, a very friendly thing, and I drowned it in the river, which is like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. But anyways, he's like, I did this to punish my daughter. But then when I realized it was Pip's dog, it was a win-win. Um, lay a hand on my dogs and see what freaking happens. Like, I can't even, ooh, this was so hard for me to read. I don't even, like, I'm gonna be like, I can't even comprehend words. That's how I'm upset about it. Like, murder five women, I don't care. I don't mean that, but you know. But talk about the dog one more time, I'm gonna lose my brain. So anyways, Pip is screaming like, F you, and I would too if I could cuss on this podcast, because I hate it. But Jason's just like, see, you never listen, and like, time to wrap your whole head in tape. So he tells her to stop moving because she's ruining it. And then once he's done, he says, so now you can't listen or speak or even look at me. You don't deserve to, which is weird because she can listen. So whatever. Anyways, the only thing exposed now is her nostrils. And like Pip's kind of talking about how Jason took away her sight and she's left in dark and quiet. Chapter 28. So Pip hears the door shut and the car start, meaning like Jason left. But she's like kind of freaking out like, oh my God, is he still there? Like, what the heck? But she does know it's the MO of the DT killer to leave before killing them. So he ties them up, leaves, and then comes back and kills them because they saw like the struggle marks on the duct tape and stuff, I guess. Anyways, so Pip's freaking out because she can only breathe through her nose, but she's starting to get stuffed up and whatever, whatever. But Ravi's voice in her inner dialogue is there to calm her down and have her think of a plan. And I have, I literally hate it. I don't like it. I don't like the Ravi's voice thing. It just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. Anyway, Pip feels around the best she can to see if she can find anything. She doesn't, obviously. Pip plans to move her hands up and down the pole, or I guess down the pole to the intersection of the shelf to try to find a screw so she can use the screw to like cut through the tape. And this part takes freaking forever. Just read it yourself. I said that like 10 times this episode, but... So, long story short, she gets her hands loose on the pole. She's, like, moving back and forth to get them unstuck from the pole. And now she moves up and down, and then she goes down to the screw. And there's a nut on the end, so she's screwing it off, whatever. It takes forever, seriously. This is such a long chapter. But she gets the screw off the whatever. She pulls it out, and then a barrel, like, since now part of the shelf's loose, a barrel falls off and hits her in the shoulder and this startles her she drops the screw and it rolls across the floor great chapter 29 pip's useless any no that was just me saying that so she's reasonably upset about dropping the screw but robbie's voice is there to tell her it's fine like whatever so pip can feel a gap between the shelf and the pole i guess so she thinks if she can like get the 
pull up, she can create a gap and then she can like pull the duct tape from her wrist like out from under it because she's like attached to the shelving unit. So now all her running has come in handy because her legs are so strong. It's just trying to tie everything back together. It's really annoying. But anyways, she pushes herself up against the shelf and it gives way, knocking everything over. It's a whole mess. There's like fertilizer and stuff on the ground, whatever. And it's enough for her to slip her hands out from under and free herself. So then she takes all the duct tape off her hands and her feet and she's like ripping off her face and like part of her hair is coming out and like her skin, whatever, because duct tape. Ugh. But now she has to figure out how to get out of the room. So she's locked in, obviously. The back door is locked, whatever. And this part's kind of haunting because she's looking for something to use and she finds the blue rope that Jason like had left there because he's going to come back and use it on her and kill her. That's how he killed all the other people. So anyway, she finds a toolbox and gets out a hammer and then she climbs up these shelves that are like kind of fallen over into a like up to a tiny window and then she uses the hammer to break the window and then she climbs out the window and jumps to the ground, which isn't too high up apparently. Whatever. Like it's all stressful when you're reading it, but I don't know how to like convey that. So the fence is too high to climb. So she goes the other direction back into these woods because there's probably not a fence around that or it's like a smaller fence. And at least it's like far away from wherever Jason's going to be. And as she's walking, she gets like far enough away. So she drops the hammer like in the woods. I'd be holding on to that hammer for dear freaking life though if it was me. But anyway, so now she's like, I need to find a house and call the police. That's all I need to do. Tell them what happened. Like a reasonable person, it'll be fine. And she goes and then she like in her head, she goes in this whole thing about how the police aren't going to believe her because they already had the killer, quote unquote, like Billy, who they think in custody and Jason's their friend and blah, blah, blah. And like Charlie Green taught her that she had to take things into her own hands and like whatever. So Jason's back and because she can like hear his car. But like also I thought she was far enough in the woods like. I don't know. This part's kind of weird. But anyway, so she turns around, walks past the hammer. She dropped, grabs that. He's like unlocking the door to the storage unit. He looks in. He's like, what the heck? She hits him over the head with a hammer like a bunch of times, like super overkill and blood's flying everywhere. And then she like makes sure he's not moving. He's not twitching. He is dead. This is part two of the actual book, but obviously we're in part two of my episode. Part two, chapter 30. He's dead. Jason Bell, DT killer. Now, I have an asterisk. Now you call the police and show them all the evidence and say it was self-defense and the book's over, right? Like, he clearly abducted you at, like, some point. Your DNA is all over his truck. How would you get to his work business that's locked up, et cetera, et cetera. But, (sighs) Pip's trying to think of a plan now, so she's going to call Ravi for help. Yeah, let's drag the innocent boyfriend into this. That's smart. And why can't, like... Why why can't we just have the female character handle her stuff? Like, why does the boyfriend have to be her inner dialogue? Why does he have to come save the day? Why does she need a man? I don't really like it. Just figure out your own stuff. Like, I'm all for people helping, but, like, I feel like it's always, like, she's having a breakdown, boyfriend has to save the day. I don't like it. Anyway, it's kind of cliche. So, she, this part is, ugh, this is a whole thing. She doesn't want anything traced back to him, so she uses Jason's burner phone, that he uses DT to call her and then she's going to get rid of the phone eventually. And then she calls Robbie's house phone. So like even more can't get tracked to him. And then Robbie's mom answers and has some like awkward chit chat conversation with her. And then she starts talking to Robbie and she's like, she tells him where he, she is. And she's like, don't bring your phone only use back roads. So no cameras on the highway can pick you up. And like, don't Google search where this is at, but like somehow figure out how to get there by memory and whatever, whatever. It's just a lot. Just read the book. She just doesn't want Ravi to be connected back to the situation. So Ravi gets there 
And Pip explains everything. She was abducted, Jason's DT, everything we've gone over. Robbie wants to call the police like a reasonable human being. I will give him that much. But Pip's like, no. And then like, they have this whole conversation. But Robbie gets on board because they didn't believe that his brother was innocent either. So blah, blah, blah. Police bad. They have to save the day. Cliche novel. I said it. So they're going to cover up the murder and frame someone else. That's like long story short. So first they have to clear the air and Pip has to tell Robbie how she knows about burner phones and that she has one to get Xanax from Luke. But Robbie literally does not care because she just murdered a human being with a hammer. So I'm pretty sure her taking Xanax, which is like was prescribed to her at some point, is not that big a deal. (sighs) I'm already out of breath. Like this episode is really taking it out of me. So their plan is to manipulate the time of death. So Pip super explains it so it makes sense. But basically, in my own words, they need to cool down the body to like preserve it. And then they need to warm it back up to room temperature, body temperature, whatever. So it seems like, and they got to like flip them over and stuff, whatever. Because the way the blood congeals in certain areas. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But anyways, they want to make it seem like he died hours after he actually did. So like he died, I don't know, like 630 or something. Maybe like, nah, nah, I don't know. I don't remember what time. Like whatever, in the evening. And they want it to seem like he died in the middle of the night. But Pip's like, okay, but the police are going to need a killer. And they're going to look and look and look until they find one. So we need to get one. So they decide they're going to set up Max Hastings. Which I have so many problems with this, but we'll get into that in my like lingering questions section because I don't want to like drown like the actual storyline right now. But get ready for me to vent a little bit. Chapter 31. 12 minutes is all it took to plan to set up someone for murder and how they're going to do it. That's pretty freaking efficient. So they're justifying the situation. They're like, well, they both deserved it, like being Jason and um, Max. And... I think Ravi says something like, well, if I had to choose between you and Max, I'd choose you. Well, Gadurski, she's your girlfriend and Max is a rapist, but okay. Like, you guys, I like literally, I don't even know how to like explain how annoyed I am. So they're trying to figure out how to cool down and heat the body. So like looking for a fridge because that's reasonable. Like they're going to be able to put a grown man into a fridge, but whatever. So at one point they're in the building and they see a wood chipper and Ravi like kind of wants to use it, which is absolutely horrifying. Think about putting a person through a wood chipper and like talk about getting more DNA and evidence everywhere. Like, holy crap. But anyways, they decide not to do that. So um, Pip starts freaking out because she remembers her DNA is all over Jason's car, which would like obviously lead the police to her, but also it would leave the police to knowing that Jason abducted her, deter her. I can't even form words, but anyways... They're going to deal with that later at some point. And I think like they kind of land on like, or they insinuate that they're going to incinerate. They're going to light the car on fire anyways. But this gives them the idea to use the air conditioning in the car and the heater in the car to achieve the body temperature situation. So they're going to cool down the car because he has a new car. So the air conditioner is going to get cold enough to be like a fridge. And then they're going to heat it up somehow. Cause I, okay. For purposes of a book, and this not being real, we're going to assume this would work. So they wrap Jason up in a tarp and they put him in the back seat. And that's like a whole thing, carrying him, whatever, whatever. And then Pip like takes her bag and stuff because obviously she had like a backpack when she was abducted. And then she leaves a hammer because like Max is going to need a murder weapon too, whatever. And then they head home. <sighs> Chapter 32. So Ravi drops Pip off at her house. But she has to get upstairs fast because she still has like some blood droplets and her face is all messed up in her hair or whatever. But before she goes inside, she talks to Ravi about his side of the plan, which is on page 276. And I'm just going to read it because I didn't feel like taking notes on it because it's really extensive. 
So this is Ravi saying this. I'm going home to grab my phone, then driving to Stamford to pick up my cousin, use the highway so traffic cams pick me up, go to take out some cash from an ATM so the camera there also gets me, then we're going to go to IHOP or another chain and order food, pay with my credit card, be loud, draw attention to us so people remember us being there, take photos and videos on my phone showing us there, make a call to, probably to mom, to tell her what time I'll be home. I'm going to text you and ask you how your evening's going because I don't know you lost your phone yet and we haven't seen each other all day. Then we'll go to that bar where all my cousin's friends hang out, lots of witnesses, say until 11.30. Then I drop him home and drive back, fill up with gas on the way so another security camera gets me, go home and pretend to go to bed. Which, by the way, side note, why would he ask how Pip's doing when his other texts are like, where are you? Where are you? I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Like he told people that she's missing already. So that would not hold up in court, but I guess we'll probably get there when we get there. So Pip goes into her house and it's all stressful because like her parents are there and she's trying to avoid them, but like just read it, whatever. So she gets all her clothes and then she like uses toilet cleaner to like bleach them and she takes a shower and like she takes everything she needs for the next steps. And then she briefly tells her parents that she's going to go hang out with Kara instead of stay at Ravi's. And, like, her mom thinks her and Ravi got in a fight. Who cares? Whatever. She grabs some duct tape, which is ironic, obviously, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then she leaves in her car. Now, these next chapters are, like, pretty short, but it explains, like, kind of step-by-step what they're doing. Chapter 33. So Pip shows up at Luke's house and he's like, I don't have your stuff yet, you crazy person. And she's like, well, I'll just take as many roofies as I can for $100, which I think ended up being like six or something. Anyway, he also apologizes for not seeing her at the crosswalk earlier, like, or I guess the other day. And she's like, it's fine, whatever. Because he like almost ran her over, I guess. I don't know if that's relevant or that was just supposed to like freak us out. And then it turns out to be nothing. Not really sure. Anywho, Pip takes two and a half pills and crushes them up of the roofies because she needs to make Max unconscious, but not cause an overdose, obviously, whatever. And the chapter is saying there are three more houses in Fairview she has to visit. That's how it ends. Chapter 34. She gets to the Reynolds house and Jamie, Connor, and Nat are all there, but their parents conveniently are not for story purposes. Pip asks for their help and says they can never ask why because they have to have plausible deniability. Basically, she says she's going to make someone pay and then like they all know that means Max. And of course, they're going to help, including Nat, who does most of the work. But she was also like Max's victim. But this is stupid because like, okay, so say they help, say they get away with this and then Max gets arrested for murdering. They're going to know that Pip set this up. Like, hello. Also, let's keep dragging a million people into this. Chapter 35. So the three of them and Pip drive to Max's house and Max is there alone. Convenient. Because his parents are at their other fancy house, whatever, because there's emotional distress. Pip caused them, whatever. Who cares? So this part takes a while, but Pip's like sneaking around the house and she puts duct tape. Like she comes around, she puts on the security cameras. The camera can't see her because she wants like eventually the police to think Max put the tape on it or whatever. And then Nat rings the doorbell so she can distract Max. It's go time. Chapter 36 is our last chapter. So Max gets up to answer the door and Pip's like sneaking around the house and she's like, I might have to break a window, which doesn't really fit the narrative, but like I have to do this, blah, blah, blah. So she goes like break this window and she like pushes her hand on the handle in the back in the kitchen and just like opens. Great. Smart, Pip. Anyway, Nat talks to Max and is like, I want to talk to you about the lawsuit against Pip. And he was like, I didn't do anything wrong. Everything was fabricated. And then like she's obviously furious because she was one of his victims and she knows the tape about Becca was like true and whatever. 
All while Pip is like trying to put the roofies in Max's blue water bottle that we talked about like all first episode that's sitting on the table. And Nat's like, I will go to court every day and make sure like you're accused like of what you did wrong and blah, blah, blah. So Max is like, I've heard enough. Like I'm done. I'm mad. So he starts walking away and Pip doesn't have like, she's closed the water bottle, but she doesn't have enough time to get out of the house the way she came in. So she like ducks into this slatted door, like where you can see out of it under the staircase, like mops and stuff in it. And then Max is like walking back into the house and he stops like right in front of the door that Pip's behind. Dun, dun, dun. That's where we're ending it today. And I haven't read ahead. So we'll see. I'm going to guess he doesn't find her (laughs) and he drinks stuff and passes out. But lingering questions, which aren't even really questions. I'm just annoyed. I said, what the heck is going on with a bunch of exclamation and question marks? There is so much freaking evidence pointing to Jason, at least like abducting Pip. Like I said, her DNA is all over her car, his car. Sorry. She like the duct tape would have been enough evidence. Like she couldn't have duct taped herself to the shelving and her legs and her feet and her face. She just like could not have done that. And then like she could have definitely called like self-defense. Like he he attacked her. He abducted her. Like and if she would have kept the burner, his burner phone called her phone like multiple times over the course of like however many days. Like I don't know why she doesn't just go to the police because there is evidence like maybe not that he's DT, but that he is like did something like attacked her. Also, like, if she doesn't go to police, now the innocent Billy is stuck behind bars forever. That's justice. Thanks a lot for even giving a crap about this guy. Like, that really annoys me, too. Like, she had a chance to get Jason behind bars and free Billy, or at least try to. Like, I don't know. So, and even if Jason didn't go behind bars and got out or something, he probably wouldn't come after her again because police would be already, like, looking and suspicious and stuff. Like this, I like I said, I have some mixed feelings about this Max thing. Like, yes, he's a rapist. Yes, that is awful. Yes, like I sympathize with people that have suffered that. Same. But that's not murdering someone with a hammer. Like, those are two different things. And like, I think there should be justice for what he did. And like, Pip's a freaking murderer, whether she murdered a serial killer or not. Like, she turned around and went back and killed him, which she did not have to do. She even says that in the book. Like, it was by choice. She could, she was away. She got away. Like, she could have gone to the police and she didn't. So, like, why is there no consequences for her just because she's, like, our heroine and someone that used to be okay? Like, that's not acceptable behavior. It's just not. Like, she didn't do it in self-defense. Like, it's a mess. Anyways, my last kind of question is, like, why does Pip have to drag everyone into this, being, like, Connor and all of them? Like, that's really... <sighs> Don't ever do that. If you're my friend, don't drag me into this. I don't want to be a part of it. Like, that's a lot. I don't even have predictions. I'm just really annoyed. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I have mixed feelings because it's like, I like that we found out like halfway through the book, like the big uh aha, and I'm sure there's going to be another one, but I don't like this whole like, we're unreasonably to not telling the police for no reason. Anywho, in closing, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. I did that in a weird order at the Jolly Reader Podcast. I also have a website, the Jolly Reader Podcast. Subscribe so you get notifications when new episodes are posted. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because it helps other crewmates find this podcast. Share with everybody. Also, um, pet your dog extra for me because this episode was hard to talk about. Donate, which will help me buy books. There's a link in the show notes. Also, I started a Patreon, 
which you can donate through that, or you can do the $5 level and receive bonus episodes covering. Um, I do like kind of like a yay and nay uh, books I've already covered, and then I'm going to start doing movies related to books and maybe some shorter books like The Great Gatsby and such. If you like a secondhand embarrassment, stay tuned for the outtakes, and I will talk to you next time for the third and final part of As Good As Dead by Holly Jackson. Until we sail again, this has been The Jolly Reader. Bon voyage! Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Hello? Louder! Hello! Ahoy! It only needed to go up one, and we did it. How's this? Too loud? Ahoy! Ahoy! Okay, stop. (laughs) That's a way to start it. Okay, stop. This baby fuzz. Bro. Okay. Just adjusting my sound on the... That's a little better. Okay. Hold on one second. Hey, Allie! Turn down the volume a little bit. She asked permission to eat chocolate, and I said, just eat it. Okay, girl, shut the door for me, love. Thank you. Annie mentioned that Pete, that, oh, sorry. Because I don't know why I have this. That sentence is weird. Anyways, she asked if there's any other suspects. Ready for my next trick? I said that weird. Crying and thinking about the people she loves. Hey, Sunny! Sunny, go lay down. Okay. And then, plip, pip. I am Allie, and you are with me today.